As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when Welcome he Welcome to the Celtics Podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan. And I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King. Ladies and gentlemen, and we are coming to you after a bit of a break. In August, you know, we are people too. Jam Packard's been on the road. He's been to California. He's been to the UK. He's been to Vermont. But now he is back. It is officially September. We are one month away from the Boston Celtics season. It's been a pretty short offseason considering they went to the finals. Jay King, you're about to go on vacation yourself. You're, you're betrothed. Uh, but how has your summer been going? How are you feeling uh, as we head into September? It's beautiful. It's been a beautiful summer. I'm finally starting to get my ass back in shape a little bit. Been playing some hoops lately. So you don't want to play me one-on-one How's that been going for you? I mean, it was a mistake to play you one-on-one to begin with, but sure. That's true. Um, I, I, I am starting to resemble a basketball player again. Almost. Almost. Like, I'm almost at the point where I can resemble a basketball player. But it's tough, man. It's tough being old. I'm fucking. I just turned thirty-five. That's old. That's old, and it's it's not like a graceful thirty-five either. It's it's not like I've put. <laughs> At what age were you graceful, Jay? <laughs> I guess I was. I was never graceful, but but when I was young, I at least like spent time on staying in shape and stuff. I I have not really done that in my. Uh, late 20s and 30s so far but but the kid the kid's getting back on on the pony well watch out for that folks uh the kid's gonna be backing you down uh on pickup courts across the new england area maybe maybe in boston maybe in western massachusetts who knows i'm here to the point where i don't i don't need to back down anymore <laughs> yeah, that was your go-to move it, when you it's had not all post moves yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's not all post moves anymore 
Uh, as far as the Celtics are concerned, there has not been much news uh, since we last talked. I think the major thing is that in the World Cup qualifier, while playing for Italy, Danilo Gallinari tore his left meniscus. Now, there's not an immediate timetable for his recovery, but it's not like a, anything to do with the ACL. There's no ligament damage in his knee. And so he'll probably be back uh, after missing a couple months of the season. What does this do to the, the Celtics roster? Do they have to kind of... On a couple months of the season? I think, oh, just Twitter scuttlebutt, I feel like I saw like November, December. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what the timeline is, uh, but with meniscus injuries, depending on the extent of it, you can sometimes come back within a month. Right? That was what Robert Williams had. Obviously, he came back in, what, like three and a half weeks? And he wasn't... And did not look great, though. He certainly wasn't at his best when he came back. Um, but like, it, it's not... Depending on what type of surgery he gets, whether it was a repair or a removal... Um, like that that's something that that doesn't take too long a recovery. So like if he's back for the start of the regular season, it wouldn't shock me at all. Well, there's obviously like just no need to rush him back at this point considering his age, considering the miles on his body and considering what the Celtics have in terms of depth around him. Uh He's probably going to play a little backup four for them, and I think he can do some things for them in terms of adding shooting and just sheer size. But they have Grant Williams as a backup four. They also have two starting caliber centers in Robert Williams and Al Horford. Uh, I just don't know uh, if they need to rush Galanati back to the court. Uh, And so I've seen some things like, does this injury mean the Celtics need to go out and get another backup big? I don't see it like drastically changing uh, what they do in the kind of the free agent market or the trade exception market. They have a boatload of backup bigs that I think there's going to be a, a training camp uh, fight for the roster spot. And I think maybe this just that makes it a little bit more intense because there's a there might be a little bit more opportunity to play at the start of the season. But do you think it changes like what Brad Stevens is doing in terms of kind of structuring this roster as they head into the next season? I don't think it should. Uh, like Gallinari Yes, he's a big name, but he wasn't signed to be like some huge impact player. They already have Grant Williams as the backup power forward. They have Al Horford and Robert Williams, who are obviously both going to play significant minutes. Like, he wasn't going to be this huge, huge piece of their rotation. They also seem very high on Sam Hauser, who could sort of play a, a similar role. Obviously, he doesn't have the size. Of Gallinari, he doesn't have all the skill of Gallinari, but but he's a sneaky six eight. Like he's no, he's a sneaky like he's six not the eight. Giant that Gallinari is, but he's still got some size on the wing. Yeah, he's a, probably a better defender than than most people would expect, and he can really definitely a better defender than Gallinari. He can really shoot that thing. Dating back to his first year of college, he has never shot less than forty percent from three in a season, which is insane. The, the consistency it takes Damn. to do that. He was better than 40% for the Celtics last year. He was better than 40% in the G League last year. And he was better than 40% from three, I believe, in every year that he played in college. So he could just really shoot that thing. Uh, so I, I, it makes more sense to me to give 
some of those minutes to Hauser. And then you already have Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon coming off the bench. You have Peyton Pritchard, who may not have a role at all. Uh, so you can just go smaller if, if need be. You can play Luke Cornett. Like, I don't think it's a, a huge concern if, if Gallinari isn't right right away. I think the bigger concern is that now he's 34 years old. He had already slowed down at least some, and now he's going to be coming off of meniscus surgery. So that's that's where it becomes a little bothersome is if if this takes a toll on him if he's not moving even the way he was last year in Atlanta and and then you don't have the the curveball of the 6-10 dude who can post up, who can shoot, who can really open things up for the offense that you were hoping Gallinari would give you. And that, that's that's the bigger concern to me, and, and that's something that the Celtics don't have to solve right away. Uh, they definitely, to me, I, I would just I would want to see more of Sam Hauser and see how that works out. Did they Gallinari sign a multi-year deal with the Celtics? I know it was for um, I think the mid-level, but how many years are on that contract? Because you're right, like two-year uh, deal with a player option, I believe, in the second year. Uh, so he might be on the books for a while. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how much he can contribute, uh, especially coming off that meniscus. Like Rob Williams came back with three and a half weeks and had moments, but definitely was limited. But like we mentioned, it's just no real rush to bring Gallinari back. But he's, he's we're talking about the ninth guy on the roster at this point. And so um, it's just maybe it's an opportunity for Hauser to play more. And I think I could talk myself into – at the end of the season, if Hauser is getting kind of more minutes and is able to prove himself as like an NBA rotation player, just given his um, greater athleticism and uh, assumed versatility over Gallinari, maybe that puts the Celtics bench in a, in a better situation uh, headed into the playoffs than Gallinari. I don't know. I don't know what you could expect from Danilo Gallinari at this point uh, heading into the season. I didn't have like grand expectations for him, but I think this is just reason to not rush him back and maybe see what Hauser uh, can give you uh, as just what the, the fourth or fifth guy off the bench. It is also probably way too early to talk about this, uh, but like if, if Gallinari is slowed, if he's not going to be what the Celtics hoped, if he comes back from the meniscus and like just, pretty clearly can't contribute in the way that they wanted. You could always use his salary and combine it with like a few end of the bench guys and try to go after a, a better backup center. Like that could be a, a trade deadline move. Uh, so I, I obviously don't think that was the idea the Celtics had when they signed Gallinari. What you got going over there? What is that noise? I am in Austin, so it is Austin Christmas, September 1st. We got moving trucks galore. That was just a, a U-Haul truck backing up. <laughs> it is September 1st. Moving day in Boston is just a shit show. Driving in Boston, August 31st, September 1st, is just hell. There are just U-Hauls everywhere. Fucking U-Hauls getting stuck on Storo Drive, hitting the bridge. Like, just... 
It happens every year. Confirmed happened again this year already. You truck smashes into a, a bridge on Surreal Drive. Just idiots everywhere. Imagine if you actually did that, though. Like that would be the worst. That would be the worst <laughs> feeling ever because you're already in. Like you're stressed out. You're pissed off. There's nothing worse than moving. And then you're dr- you're moving to college. You're trying to start a new a new chapter of your life. Maybe you know you're going first time in a big city. You're all on your own, and then you just ruin all of your belongings <laughs> and close down zero drive for multiple hours. <laughs> that's tough. That's tough. You got to know where you can and cannot go with the U-Haul. I feel like that's something that I would do. Like that. that- <laughs> That Ignore the large signs that say "Don't put a moving truck on Sturo Drive" that they put up. Just keep on going. Yeah, I'd, I'd be the idiot who who ended up doing that. But nope, I, I haven't done it yet, and I'm running out of time. I'm running out of time. <laughs> you know, I, I I would really hope after living here for more than a decade, you would know not to make that mistake. But um, you know, I mean, even you can continue to impress me uh, throughout the years. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. um since we last talked we last well the last time we podcasted it was like another iteration of kevin durant trade rumors and we kind of had that conversation which i think was for the third or fourth time uh this summer that was fun just just keep rehashing that that was awesome yeah it was great um but then we got some new news that Basically, they just—they're not going to trade him. They're gonna—he's going to go back to the Nets, and so we kind of have a better sense of what is uh, that team is going to look like. Then the major news today in a Woj bomb that was really a Woj bomb, really surprised, came out of nowhere. The Cleveland Cavaliers traded Colin Sexton, Laurie Malkinen, uh Ojabi. Is that his name? Uh, they're uh, Ajbaji. How do you pronounce that? They're lottery pick uh, from this year. Three unprotected first round picks and two pick swaps to the Utah Jazz for Donovan Mitchell. And now the Cleveland Cavaliers have a very interesting starting lineup of Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell. I would assume Isaac Okoro is going to be their small forward. And then Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. So... Kind of a fascinating uh, kind of zag when everyone's everyone's in basketball is going to like we all we need a bunch of six eight wings and the the Cavs are going nope we're going to go with two guards who are about six feet and then two seven footers and Isaac Okoro uh, it definitely makes the Cleveland Cavaliers better I think I commend them for like going for it when you're in a small market like this is the type of trade you have to do to bring in a star player like Donovan Mitchell. I've never been the biggest Donovan Mitchell believer, but it's clearly an upgrade of talent for the Cavs. I think the question is with, you know, the Nets keeping Kevin Durant and the Celtics, Bucks, Sixers, Miami Heat all still existing. Where do you think this puts Cavs in terms of uh, like where they where they stand in the East? I still think they're a rung below the other teams you mentioned. They're probably like fifth or sixth. And I don't, maybe, maybe seventh. I don't know. Like the, the Nets, I, if the Nets can get everyone healthy and playing basketball and 
like they're better than the Cavs to me. But the, the Cavs, it's not just this coming season. It's now they have Mitchell, they have Garland, they have Mobley, who are going to be better three years from now, four years from now than they are right now. And I think Mobley has a chance to be become one of the best players in the league. I don't love the size of their backcourt with Garland and Mitchell, but if you're going to have those two guys or defenders like them on the perimeter, you better have guys that clean it up. And Mobley and Jared Allen are just as good as it gets defensively at power forward and center almost. So they're really interesting and and they're really interesting long term um now we got a dog what the fuck is going on over there in austin bro it's it's literally madness it's in uh, pure is that chaos. even your dog do you have a dog i don't have a dog i, I don't even think that was a dog i think that was like a hammer <laughs> austin christmas is wild over there <laughs> it's gonna go crazy <laughs> did, did you go scouring through uh all the stuff people have put on the sidewalk. Yeah, I went on a walk this morning looking for stuff, um, but it was mostly garbage. It turns out the things that people left to be in the trash, mostly trash. Not a lot of good stuff out there in Austin Christmas. A lot of like dressers that uh, looked not that great. Uh, a lot of mattresses, which was gross. That's how you get bed bugs. Uh, well, I stayed away from those, uh, but I did go out scouring. I just didn't find anything. Well, that's a shame. Sometimes you find a gem, but you never know when you'll find a gem. No, you gotta you gotta look for it though. Um, what like my question about the Cavs is like that was a great segue. This, great segue. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know how to I didn't know what to do with it there. I didn't know. Uh, thank you for acknowledging that. So they have two guys who are six feet, and then they have two guys who are basically seven feet. You mentioned like the great rim protection they have with um, Allen and Mobley, like. You, you're obviously very, very high on Mobley and what he can become, but like what and I'm just thinking, like what happens when they play the Celtics? Like, who guards Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown? Like, what do they have for in terms of like wing defense? It's just going to be very, I don't want to say confusing, but it's just like what is the matchup? How do they work that out? Like, I think they're they're clearly improved because it feels like they needed some additional scoring last year uh, in addition to Garland. Uh, but like, what is their do you just basically hope that you have so much rib protection that it doesn't work? I, I'm just curious, like, what do they do against the kind of top wings in the league, like Tatum, like Kevin Durant, um, even like Giannis? Is, is Mobley, are they hoping that Mobley is that guy who can kind of step out and be that, that athletic? Because as good as he is, it's like, it's kind of hard to do that and match that athleticism when you're seven feet tall. You're clearly not a Dean Wade fan, huh? <laughs> I am not. I <laughs> Are you going to say, are you trying to sell me on Shetty Osmond too? No love for Dean Wade and, and Jetty Osmond. But no, I, I think they're in trouble against those teams right now. And, and that's why I put them a rung below the best teams. But with the, the length of time that this core should be, could be together, you have time to go out and get a defensive minded wing who can knock down threes. That, that that's the next step in their roster building to me is go get a small forward who can defend the top guys in the league and also make a three every once in a while. I, and I think Okoro, I, I still like Okoro. 
Uh, I'm I'm probably the only person who still likes Okoro, but you've been big on Okoro though ever since he was in his draft class. Uh, yeah, I I I may never give up on the Okoro love, no matter how how deep he gets into his underwhelming career. But but like he he's a physical dude. He's a big dude. Uh, I think he can guard some guys. I think Dean Wade's okay. I think like Jetty Osmond can at least like log minutes on some of those guys, but clearly that that's where they need to improve. Uh Karis Levert is six six. He's a guy. He he I, he's not who I would want guarding the best player on the other team. <laughs> nor nor do I think oh, he's so a, more of a Dylan Windler guy. Nor do I think he's a good fit offensively now that they have Mitchell in town. Like Levert was good at soaking up possessions and and like do, doing things probably too aggressively, but they needed someone to be too aggressive last year. They don't need that anymore. So Levert is is not. I, I don't know if, if his time in Cleveland will last forever. The good news for the Cavs is this is the last year they have to pay Kevin Love, and so Kevin uh, Love was really good last year. He was really good, but he's not thirty million dollars really good. Like in terms of value for no, the contract, and like you just don't want to be. You'd rather that money allocated to someone who fits in with your young core four players rather than paying uh, thirty million dollars to a, for a guy to win what third place and sixth man of the year voting. Yeah, yeah, no, I, definitely. You want to allocate that money in, in another way. Uh, but he was really good, and he was helpful, and especially for a team that had very little shooting, he was he was impactful last year. I'll, I'll give him credit; he kind of bounced back last year after whatever happened with Team USA. That was pretty weird. They kind of just like kicked him off the team and bad mouthed him afterward. <laughs> but he came back and had a really good year. Yeah, it's not normal. <laughs> he had a really maybe it was the motivation he needed. I don't know, but. Yeah, the, the East is dangerous. The East has a lot of good teams. And and yeah. all right, let, let's let's do the power rankings of the Eastern Conference right now. Um if you had to let's go who's your number 1 in the East? Like your favorite to win the conference right now? I would have to go with the Milwaukee Bucks. They still okay. have Giannis Antetokounmpo and uh, a pretty solid team around him. And I think Giannis is, uh, with a healthy Chris Middleton, they probably beat the Celtics in that series. So I'm, I still think the the Bucks are the best team and the team to beat in the East. Yeah, I, I agree. I think if you think otherwise, it's that you think the Celtics will be better. Right, I right. still I think the Celtics could be yeah. If, if you think the Celtics are going to make a, a like a pretty big leap and like the addition of Brogdon really makes it so their bench is that much better and that like makes them like a a sixty five win team or something like that. I you can easily talk me into the Celtics and if the Celtics go and like win ten out of their first fifteen games, I'll jump on board with you right there. But um, like I just I think the Bucks when you have Giannis who probably could have been the MVP last year and like could have won three consecutive MVPs. It's just like he's there. He's the number one. I I believe in I believe in Giannis. 
Have I lost DJ King? It looks like I have lost DJ King. So I'm going to uh, let's go with Joshua B instead of continuing my power ranking. This is going to tell me why I'm wrong, and the Celtics are the best team in the East. Joshua B, am I correct? Are you- um, you're you're you are wrong that the Bucks would be the number one <laughs> team. Um, and I am going to convince you. And if I had a gift right now of Giannis rolling around the floor when Al Horford punched him in the face on the way down from the dunk. That would that would probably be all the convincing that I need. But I can go one step further in that with Al Horford and Grant Williams and um, Robert Williams, that you can arguably guard Giannis all the way up and down the floor. And those three things combined with the best defense um, in the NBA probably puts us better than the Bucks, unless you believe that Pat Connaughton is going to make a major step forward, you know, going forward. Maybe, maybe he will. You know, I mean, the Bucks do have Pat Connaughton, and we saw how effective he was without Chris Middleton. And, but the only thing we didn't see was Chris Middleton, because you don't live in that universe. You live in this universe. And there was no healthy Chris Middleton, and he's coming off of injury, and his injury is even more severe than Danilo Gallinari's. Right, but <laughs> thank I, you for I, adding the the Italian spice when you said Danilo. Of course, um, but I actually came on because I have a question for Jay King and for you. Um, based on all the reporting that you've done this summer um, and all of the analysis that you've done all year, who do you think wants to play less for the Brooklyn Nets? Ben Simmons, Kevin Durant, or Kyrie Irving? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it sounds like Durant right now. Uh, would be would be my guess. He he was he's the one who requested the trade. And <laughs> a good question. I, I appreciate the question. I still think like there's a world, and maybe the percentage chances are very small because Kyrie is obviously a wild card of the highest order, and Ben Simmons did not play basketball last year, and hasn't played since he was made that insane decision to pass up a wide open bucket against Atlanta in the playoffs a couple years ago. But I still think there's there's a chance that the Nets are really freaking good next year. They got bigger on the wing, which they needed to do because the Celtics just diced up their guards who had no chance defensively. They should at least on paper get more games out of Kyrie Irving. They will should definitely get more games out of Ben Simmons. Um, and I just think there's a lot of talent there. And Durant's still awesome. So I kind of think if, if like KD they, they definitely plays more than Yeah, if they play if KD plays more than sixty five games, like they're still I would put them in my top tier. It's just like such an unknown and I have no idea uh how many games KD's going to play. But if you look at their record Last year when KD did play, they were like on pace to win like 60 games. Like they were still a phenomenal team. And so if you just have a full healthy season with no shenanigans, uh, and that's a lot to say because not every like it's rare for like teams to go into uh, the season or have fully healthy seasons from all their stars. But if you get uh, a full healthy season just with KD and Kyrie, I think that's like a good enough team to uh be a top four seed in the East. Um, let's continue the exercise. Like, do you agree with me that the Bucks are number one? Did Joshua B convince you that the Celtics uh, could be the number one seed or the, the best team in the East moving forward? They definitely could. I, that's that's within the realm of possibility. Uh, 
I don't think anyone will be surprised if the Celtics win a whole lot of games. I think they're the Vegas' favorite to, like, the over-unders. They have the highest. I think it was 56 and a half. Did I, did I hear that from someone? I didn't see that someone told me. 56 and a half win. Like, that's yeah, a lot of fucking win. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be thrilled with that amount. They're also they're the current, like, betting favorite to win the title, which I do not like. I did not like heading into the season – with all of those expectations. Uh, You're a big no expectation guy. I'm a big, yeah, I'm a big, like, uh, surprise teams with uh, your moxie. Yeah, I'm seeing 55 and a half win totals. The next closest team is 53 and a half. The Clippers were also getting a lot of preseason love. The Suns at 52 and a half. And then the next Eastern Conference team would be the Bucks uh, at 51 and a half, followed by the Sixers at 50 and a half. So the Celtics... By four games, uh, Vegas is predicting will be be, uh, better. I do think they'll have a better regular season, and I think they'll be, um, I think, just given their depth, uh, better rested and hopefully be better prepared for the playoffs. But I don't know. That's like 55 wins is is a lot of wins. And uh, what, they were the two seed last year. What did they finish with, 48 wins? Like, or do we anticipate them? I guess they like. Do we anticipate the Celtics playing the same type of basketball they did the last three months of the season? Because if they play at that level, then they're like they're going to win seventy games. But like, I just don't know if they're able to kind of recapture that magic they had basically from what February from trading Dennis Schroeder to uh, like Robert Williams getting injured. Like, I don't know if they're going to be able to play that exact level of dominant basketball. If they can, if you're the ultimate believer and the optimist, then, like, I would shoot, like, there would be well over 55 wins. But I think that was, like, a truly, truly special three months of basketball that I don't know uh, is fair for you to, like, for Celtics fans to expect them to come out and do head into the season. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I've lost my optimistic ways, but I just don't know if they can recapture that uh, kind of that dominance, that dominant stretch they had. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, it, it, that part will be really interesting because we've seen some of these core guys in situations where they did have expectations and they're coming off of long playoff runs. 
some of those teams, recent Celtics teams, have disappointed lately. And obviously, the the last Kyrie year is the most glaring example of when they had a ton of talent and just nothing worked out. But they went to the Eastern Conference Finals in the bubble, came back, and were 36 and 36 the next year. There were tons of factors in that. Like Kemba Walker just was not right at all that whole year. Um, but but to, like, to your question, can they recapture that? How much have they learned from those runs? How much have they learned from last year? Like, okay, if, if we buy in, if we do this, then we can be really freaking good. And was that just a start or was it like lightning in a bottle? Three months where they did everything right. They were all on the same page. They were all bought in. Uh, they were mostly healthy. Obviously, the Robert Williams injury hurt them and, and was really impactful, but for the most part, they had pretty good health during that run and were able to stick with like a seven or eight man rotation and just play all good players, which I I think that's the goal again this year. They have Brogdon, uh, they have Gallinari whenever he gets back. Like they have, they should have more options. They should have better depth. They should have more talent, but it's not always as easy as just having that. Um, I'm really interested. In the final half of last season, they went 31 and 10, which is it kind of insane. And so, if you're like that, that's a 62 win pace. That just kind of yeah. goes to show you how insane that that second half was because they they finished the season with 51 wins. So, 31 of their 51 wins came in the second half of the season. Uh, and and I think the from the trade deadline on, I believe they were even better than that. I'm checking the numbers right now. But from the trade deadline, yeah, they had like three of those, four of those losses came pre-trade deadline, and so like post-trade deadline, they only lost six games, and one of them was like that yeah. Toronto game where it was like a back-to-back, uh, where they didn't play for their starters. Yeah, where they, um, I think a similar one was a back-to-back against the Bucks in the final week of the season. Yeah, like they really played, like they were just ridiculous over that spurt for like their net rating was 13.3 after the trade deadline, which is insane. Like that's historic. That would be, I think the best net rating of all time. They led the league in offense by almost three points for a hundred possessions. They led the league in defense by just about a point for a hundred possessions. Like they were just a juggernaut and I don't know if if we should expect them to reach that level again. Because it was no fluke the way they were playing. Like, they were just really fucking good by the end of last season. The, the, those last three months, um, I think they had a six-game winning streak going into the trade deadline, even with Schroeder on the team. But kind of took off even more after getting rid of him and adding Peyton Pritchard and Derek White to the rotation, like, they were just fucking awesome. And if they reach that level again, then they'll probably be the favorite uh, come the end of next year. And they, they added, they added like, a pretty major piece to that team. And so Malcolm Brogdon is, like, starting caliber 
point guard. He's not, I don't think he's going to start for the Celtics, but he's like a serious player that just makes their depth that much better so they don't have to go with an eight-man rotation. You can usually talk me into the Celtics being a better and more complete team next year. It's just a lot to ask them to win 60 games. But I do just like, like the fact that they're bringing back this core that was so dominant. And um, I think there's obviously questions about Robert Williams' health and Al Horford's kind of if he can kind of give you the exact same thing that he, he did last year with coming off like a, a year in Oklahoma city where he just didn't play. It's like, he's 36, probably he's going to be 37 years old. There are questions there, but I think like bringing back the core that went on this historic run and adding Malcolm Brogdon uh, to that, I think like there's good reason. Like I would, would I be surprised if the Celtics won or the first seed in the East? Absolutely not. I just also think the Bucks are quite good. It feels like one, a, 1B right now. I think the question is, are there any other teams in the East that you would like put up there in that tier? I think the top candidate would be the 76ers, but I'm not sure if they're there at this point. Where do you see kind of the the East after the Bucks and the Celtics? Uh, I think the Heat are up there. Uh, I would put the Heat above the 76ers just because I think I know what to expect from Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler and those guys. And whereas I don't really know what to expect from James Harden. Is James Harden best shape of his life? A lot of people say that around this time, this time of year. I'm out here saying it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you literally claim that. Wild move know. to throw the cake off the boat, by the way. Just, just don't have a fucking cake. <laughs> just don't maybe it was a prop cake maybe it wasn't empty like someone probably spent a good hour and a half two hours preparing that cake for him and it was just a disrespectful move in my opinion i i i am like you don't have to eat any of the cake there were plenty of people on that boat that yacht whatever it was they, they would have been more than happy to eat your cake you didn't have to throw it they were probably looking forward to the cake I bet those fish were happy though. Those those fish, those fish were probably fucking so excited to get James Harden's birthday cake. Anyway, uh, yeah, I just trust Miami more. I trust Spolstra, hundred percent. Like he's just an awesome coach. Uh, but I, I, I do think I the do, PJ Tucker loss, I do like the PJ the... Tucker loss, was important for Miami, and that will be felt. Like th- those types of guys, those. Six, 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 seven physical defenders. Those are really tough to replace, and there are like a handful of really good ones across the league uh, that only specialize on defense. I'm not including like the Jason Tatum's of the world that that do that and also score. And I feel like whenever a team loses one of those guys, it, it matters a lot. I feel like I, I favor the Sixers right now over the Heat because I, it feels like the the Sixers made some move to gain some depth, and the Heat, I don't know what they did this offseason other than um, re-signing they, uh, Tyler here. No, they haven't even re-signed. Oh, they got Oladipo. Oladipo back who said something like he's uh, – didn't have some quotes like, I'm a top five player in this league. But they have a Kyle Lowry who did not look great towards the end of last year. He's like pretty old point guard. Tyler Hero, I guess, becomes their starting shooting guard. I just don't like the depth for the Heat where it feels like the 76ers, you mentioned they added P.J. Tucker. 
But I also thought like the DeAnthony Melton and Daniel House moves like pretty good. I think the Sixers have a lot more depth around Embiid and Harden right now than they did last year. And I just don't know how you if they just like commit to running a bunch of James Harden, Joel Embiid pick and roll. I think like that's a very formidable team that like could make a lot of noise and win a lot of games in the Eastern Conference. I don't think they're better than the Celtics or Bucks at this point, but I do think they're in the kind of top tier uh, of teams a little bit better than the Heat. And I don't know. I mean, I ha- I'm clearly biased against both the 76ers and the Heat. And the Heat always surprise you. It's just like hustling and playing better in that, that gosh darn Heat culture. But Jimmy Butler has wild dreadlocks now, and I just don't think that produces winning basketball. <laughs> All right. I, who, who have been some dreadlock players? Name one dreadlock player in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I, I name one dreadlock player has won more than fifty games. I feel like we're we're forgetting some dreadlock player. Who Jaw? I guess Jaw has dreads. Uh, I um best NBA players with dreadlocks. I'm googling this right now. I just googled it. Uh, I guess Allen Iverson. Uh. Ben Wallace, Michael Beasley. It's not a. It's not a strong list. I mean, AI is fantastic, but um, it's not like it's a long storied history of dreadlocks in the NBA. And Allen Iverson didn't have dreadlocks. I thought he had cornrows. Yeah, yeah. I. I, uh, I guess there aren't a lot of dreadlock Hall of Famers running around. <laughs> I, I stand by my take. Uh, anyway. Yeah, and then so so th- that's our top four. The what are the Nets five? I think the Nets are have to be five, and I might. I think upside of the Nets, you could talk me to be them being better than the Heat if you get sixty plus games of both KD and Kyrie on the court. Like I think Joe Harris will come back and be actually give them something. I do think the Royce O'Neal pickup is is not like. Bad for them, as you said, just gives them a little bit of weight defense. And Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant. Like, I do, like, if they just get those two guys and get anything from Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons doesn't really have to do much. It's just like you need KD and Kyrie to play. And I think, like, the Nets could be the fourth best team in the East. They could even be up, yeah. to, up to the first best team if they put it all the, together. I just think that's rare and kind of harder for them to the do. Nets, the Nets to me are in like their own tier. At five, oh, like, mystery, like just a mystery below mystery. the top four, yeah, because because they could win the East, but also they could totally fall apart. Kevin Durant could ask for a trade again. Uh, like Kyrie Irving could do, God knows what. Uh, there there are no limits on what he could potentially do. Ben Simmons could just not play basketball, so they're definitely like as wild card as wild card gets. But they have so much top end talent that I still think you've got to put them ahead of even Cleveland. And then we got Cleveland, like, then there's Chicago, Toronto. The East is <laughs> East is good. We haven't even Atlanta. Atlanta, they got, Atlanta yeah. got DeJounte Murray. Man, the East is dangerous. Wow. And then they have some very, very poor teams. Indiana will just be atrocious. Uh... 
Charlotte. I think the Magic might be sneaky good this year. Not not good, but like frisky, like a team you don't want to play. The, the Magic will be terrible, despite what Jam Packard just said. The, I said frisky. They're going to be friskier than the Wizards. The Wizards are going to be awful. But the Wizards got Monty Morris, bro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the Magic got Paolo and like more Franz Wagner and uh, everyone's favorite teammate, Jonathan Isaac, coming back. I mean, I think the the Magic have more talent on their roster than the Wizards do. De- Detroit should be improved, but still not good yet. Like they're a they're a future good team, but not a present good team, especially with how loaded the East is. But man, yeah. like. The East, the East is dangerous. The East has a lot of very good teams. There's a lot of interesting teams. Like there's, there aren't many uninteresting teams, except for like the Wizards and the Hornets. I am no longer interested by the Hornets. Sorry, Nick Friedman. Yeah, no, I was, I was going to say apologies to Nick Friedman, but I, I agree with you. Kind of a, kind of a boring basketball team. All respect to Steve Clifford, uh, a main man. Uh, but um, no, not the most interesting roster there down in Charlotte. If you had to pick, we have our clear top five. Who do you think that is that sixth seed who has kids avoid the playing tournament out of those kind of mid mid range Bulls, Cavs, Raptors, Hawks? I like Chicago this year, but I think Cleveland is the choice there because with Jarrett Allen and Evan Mobley as as suspect as some of their wing defense may be, like you're going to have a really good regular season defense with both of those guys. And then you're going to have a lot more scoring with Donovan Mitchell joining Darius Garland. Uh, so I, I just think their, their recipe for regular season success is pretty obvious. Like just have an average offense and really good defense and you'll win a lot of games. And that, to me, is, like, what they're shaped up to be. I don't think their offense will be great yet, uh, but it should be good enough. And if Mobley takes a leap, which he could, who knows? Like, that would that could take them up a tier. But they're really interesting to me. That, that, is, an, that is an interesting team. And, I, like, Donovan Mitchell, to me, everyone is super down on him because he clearly just stopped giving a shit, especially on defense in Utah. But that dude has averaged 30 points per game in like two or three different playoff series. He has been like an absolute killer in the playoffs before. And and so I kind of, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt on a season where he clearly hated the situation, whether it's because he didn't like Rudy whether it's because whatever else the case may be. Like he was pretty clearly disgruntled there. I'm willing to give him a little bit of a pass on that. Even though he's not my favorite favorite player stylistically. Um, I just think when you look at what he's done in the playoffs, he averaged thirty six points per game in the playoffs one year. He averaged thirty two point three points per game in the playoffs another year. Like that's fucking tough. There aren't many young guards who you can say that about. There aren't many old guards who you can say that about. I I just think he's a good bet as far as somebody who the Cavs could could actually get. And I I don't think the fit is perfect with Garland, but I'm willing to give this young core a chance, especially if Mobley becomes one of the top five or ten players in the league, which I think is 
a pretty reasonable possibility. We got to talk about this from the Danny Ainge Jazz perspective. He just comes in, breaks up the big three of Gobert, Mitchell, Royce O'Neal. He gets what thirteen? <laughs> you put Royce O'Neal in the big three. <laughs> you know, he just comes. It comes in. He's bold. Um, and what? How many draft picks did he get back for those two? I think thirteen draft picks over the next. What, 10 years, uh, 13 unprotected or lightly protected picks, and then a bunch of pick swaps. Like, they're going full tank mode. They're in it for Victor. Uh, but it's just like, I think you got to give credit to Danny Ainge for, I mean, it's it's easy to give credit when winning your games is not like the, uh, I think they, I saw a danger card on Twitter. When, like, winning games is not the goal. It's much easier to win trades, but to get like this kind of haul for Gobert and Mitchell, a, a, a kind of duo that was clearly not getting you that far, I think is just a, a master class for Trader Dandy. And he still has more pieces to sell off. Like they still have Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich. They still have Clarkson. They still have Conley. I, I don't think the fire sale there has ended. Uh, maybe like Conley's contract is crazy. I wouldn't expect to get too much for any of those guys, but he could get he could finagle a, a couple picks, a couple picks out of out of that group. So yeah, D- Danny, it, it it is funny though. Like they really brought him in just just to fuck shit up, just just to come, come in and just tear it down. <laughs> and somebody needed to do it. Somebody needed to do it. That that core, like it was fun for a while. They played really great basketball for a little while um, during the regular season, mostly. But they just weren't quite good enough. And they got huge hauls for both of them. Like, do you think I, – I, I was thinking about this. In retrospect, I, I put it out on Twitter. In retrospect, do you think the Temple Bulls should have targeted Mitchell instead of Gobert? I mean, in terms of fit, it kind of makes more sense. Like, then you have Mitchell as your guard, Anthony Edwards as your wing, and Towns as your big. Like, I just don't know what Gobert and Towns is going to look like. And so, it's definitely an interesting question. I think just in terms of, like, basketball fit, maybe it makes sense. I mean, like, you worry about... Mitchell from maybe not wanting to be in Minnesota, but how how much different is Minnesota than Cleveland? Uh, I think it's an interesting idea. I think just like from a natural basketball fit, like Mitchell Edwards uh, Towns makes a little bit more sense than Edwards Towns Gobert. Yeah, yeah, and 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 my thing too is not just the fit. It's going to be a weird fit with Towns and Gobert. I, I think I think they'll win a ton of games in the regular season. Like, that that team will win a lot of games. They'll have a much improved defense. Uh, I, I think where that becomes an issue is, like, when Carl Towns has to guard a really good four. Like, if, if – if obviously, the Timberwolves won't play the Celtics because the Timberwolves won't make the finals. Uh, but if they were playing the Celtics, like, all the Celtics have to do is just put Jason Tatum at four, and then Carl Towns has to guard Jason Tatum or fucking – Jalen Brown or Malcolm Brogdon, like he's not going to fucking be able to do it. And so I just don't believe in them at the highest level. 
and Mitchell, I I don't think he would have put them over the top either this year. But he's younger. He costs less trade-wise. And, like, you can sell me on Mitchell and Anthony Edwards becoming a really great backcourt for a long, long time. Whereas I think Gobert's shelf life is limited because he's a 30-year-old big man with without much offensive talent. So I, I don't think there's an easy answer on what they should have done. And obviously they needed to improve their defense and they wanted to get bigger and shore up their rebound and all that stuff. But I don't know. Like, if it, if it were me, I would probably bet on Mitchell uh, just because his youth, just because of what he's done in the playoffs in the past where Rudy Gobert, his impact has typically waned in the playoffs. Like those things matter more to me than trying to win games in the regular season, but who knows? It doesn't really matter, but it's just a, a stupid hypothetical I was thinking about after that trade. It is the perfect September 1st uh, tweet to get out there. I'm sure you got an enormous amount of engagement and a lot of strong takes in both directions, which I'm sure uh, like that means it's a good tweet for Twitter. I'm sure you had a bunch of fans be like, no, oh, that's the dumbest thing in the world. And a bunch of people like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and I kind of just threw it out there and then came on the podcast. So I don't even know what my mentions will be like right now, but it's probably <laughs> nothing nothing pretty. And then the other thing, the Athletic NBA show group chat has like 100 messages since we started this podcast, and I haven't been able to check them. But I am really excited to see what those <laughs> what those <laughs> assholes are talking about. They They are really going hard in that group chat right now. I look forward to, to checking that out. Well, I, I, well I, I don't think I can keep you from that any longer. And plus, I've run out of things to say about the Celtics and the NBA. Uh, and we've been talking for about an hour now, so I think it's about the time to wrap up. I, are, are you, are you going to go scan the tree lines one more time, see if you can find a nice little desk or something? No, because today's trash day. Um, so they, they've probably gone and picked out uh, everything that's like worth anything, you know? I don't know if like there's there's much fresh stuff. Maybe like I'm gonna go play pick up basketball in Alston, so maybe I'll take an extra walk through the neighborhoods and, and see if there's anything there. But it's not my main goal. I'm pretty set on furniture for now. There is there's one thing that I wanted to bring up today um, as we end the show, and I have a question for you, Jay. Is Gershon Yabusele scoring Uh-oh. 18 points and on 14 shots and being the leading shot taker for Team France? Is that potable? Yabu got decent, man. Yabu is a pretty good international player. Salute to Yabu, and yes, it's absolutely potable. It is absolutely potable. Anything is potable. But Yabu has been doing his thing in France. He deserves another chance in the NBA. Maybe Gallinari's injury is a chance to bring him back. But absolutely, Yabu scoring 18 and being the go-to scorer for Team France as they got worked by Dennis Schroeder, Daniel Tice, and Team Germany. Uh, I'm old old enough to remember when Brad Stevens dusted off Yabu in the middle of a playoff series against the Bucs. (laughs) I don't remember it going, though. (laughs) It was a glorious day. Just a glorious day when Yabu checked over to the scorers, walked over to the scorers' table. I miss the days of Brad just kind of throwing shit against the wall and, you know, just trying. You know, he would always just... He, he would do that was not really a throw shit against the wall that. guy last year. No. Yeah, we'll was, we'll see if he does. Maybe he will. Last year, I, I will say, like, by the end of the year, 
the rotation was so obvious. Like, and the end of the bench was full of guys who just that backup U-Haul thing is just incredible. And the end of the bench <laughs> was just full of guys who did not really should be driving for U-Haul. Being honest, yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I, I wouldn't go that hard on it, but they they were not like high level NBA players. They they had no shot at cracking the rotation. So I, it would have been tough for Eme to throw dark. Whereas Brad had some teams where, like, he needed to throw darts. <laughs> there was no obvious rotation some of those years. I'll Maybe we'll get to some, some Luke Cornett darts uh, in this season. Maybe. Some Sam Hauser darts. Maybe some Noah Bondley Maybe some darts. Bruno. Cobbengele darts. It's anything, anything is possible. And, and again, I, I'd like to reiterate this point. Anything is potable. Thank <laughs> you guys for listening. Anything.